Welcome to the Word Ministry hey, of Resurrection Church, Church where We're Dr. Do Joseph G. Matera is the senior the pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would anoint us, that we could understand what you want to say through the word of God. And we pray that we'd have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in Jesus' name. Our text today is 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, and the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And my objective today in dealing with the subject of David being a man after God's own heart is to show who and what kind of person God chooses to do his bidding. I'm sure you want to know how God can choose you, why God chooses you, and what is required of you if you want to obey God's assignment. So some key questions to ask yourself during this message. Am I connected to God's heart and will? Do I seek God commensurate to the call upon my life? Do I value the choices of the world more than God's choices? And do I understand the reasons why I should seek God? So in our text, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 11 to 14, in the New King James Version, Samuel said to Saul, and remember, Part one dealt with what Saul did, and he didn't wait the seven days. He didn't listen to Samuel the prophet, and now we pick up on that story. And so Samuel says to King Saul, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come upon me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled, and I offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. In Acts chapter 13, reflecting on this story, talks about David, Stephen preaching. I'm sorry, Paul, the apostle preaching. He says, after that, he gave Israel judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet came. Acts 13, 21, and afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he set up for him, for them, David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. And so as we saw in the first part, David was a type of Christ, and I'm not going to repeat that whole message, but we saw many ways, even in him slaying the Goliath, the giant, how that was a type of Jesus slaying the Satan. And so we want to understand why it was God chose David to be the one that was a type of Christ. And uh, the first question we want to ask ourselves is, what does it mean for David being a man after God's own heart? Some believe that this had to do that he was never guilty of idolatry. Um, you know, there are many kings that went after other gods, and that seemed to be the greater sin than even adultery and murder. However, Hezekiah and Josiah never engaged in idolatry, 
And we're never referred to as a person who's after God's heart. So that couldn't be the only reason. Also related to living right in the sight of God, Daniel, Elijah, and Elisha were even godlier than David, and yet never had a moniker like that attached to them. They were never called a person after God's own heart. Many scholars believe that a man after God's own heart is likely referring more, more to the fact that God sought a man according to his own choice rather than according to the choice of Israel. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 to 20, it indicates that it was always God's eventual intention to choose a king for Israel. The problem was that Israel wanted a king just like the other nations, which made the process out of line with the protocol of the will of God. Uh, and so as we try to understand what was meant, oftentimes we look at the readings of other Middle Eastern nations around that time, and we find in some Akkadian parallels as well as the Babylonian Chronicles that oftentimes when a king chose somebody, it was spoken of as they appointed a king of their own heart. So these parallels show us that possibly a man after God's own heart is a reference to God's choice of kingship. In other words, it was David who was God's choice for king. It doesn't mean that David was so holy. It meant that for some reason, God knew that he would fulfill his assignment. And that's what it says in Acts 13, 22, that he was a man after God's own heart because he did God's will. He accomplished God's will. And so what we want to do is try to understand how he accomplished God's will, why he was able to accomplish God's will. And uh, Acts 13, 36 says something very phenomenal. It's just profound about David, it says that after he served God for his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. The New King James says after he served God uh, for his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep. And so it seems as though God knew he would fulfill his assignment in spite of messing up, in spite of his sin, in spite of his failure. So a man after God's own heart is that God is looking for people that he knows will fulfill the assignment, no matter how hard it is, even though in spite of how much they may mess up. And one of the greatest ways we could see why David was able to fulfill his assignment in spite of his failures is Psalm 51. I love that psalm. Uh, whenever I just need to get before God and repent and cry out to God, and be broken before God because of my wickedness and my sin. I look at Psalm 51, and David wrote that in spite of the Holy Ghost after Nathan the prophet confronted him for sleeping with Bathsheba, getting her pregnant, and instead of repenting uh, for his adultery, he had Uriah the Hittite, her husband, murdered so that it wouldn't look like it was adultery. And he took Bathsheba to be his wife. And so Nathan, we find that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, confronted David. He said, you are the man, meaning you're the man who has sinned against God. And David wrote this amazing psalm. Now, I love the psalms because it is a combination of, of a song. Uh, it's a motive. It's something that deals with pictures. And it gets our left brain going, our left brain is the creative part of us, and oftentimes in the West, we are right brain orientated, and we just think about rational things. We just think about things 
that are logical. And uh, oftentimes in the West, we're very much into systematic theology where it's more based on rationalism than anything else, but we've forgotten about poetry. We forgot about the pictures and images God uses to depict our emotions and our feelings. And the book of Psalms is a book of feelings. It, it, it expresses even depression, how even in our darkest times, it doesn't mean God has left us. And so it depicts human nature greater than almost any other piece of literature, including scripture itself. And uh, I love the Psalms because there are highs and lows. And in the midst of our lows, we see God come through. And people like David, even in depression, say, but I, my soul will yet praise God. I will yet uh, glorify the Lord. And so Psalm 51 shows a man who dealt with his sin head on. He didn't play games. Once he knew he was wrong, he didn't make excuses. He didn't blame anybody else. He didn't try to cover from his sin so I want to look at uh, Psalm 51. We're going to go through the whole psalm. It's 19 verses. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. So you're going to see by reading through this psalm with me why he was a man after God's own heart. So when he was confronted, he said, According to your loving kindness, he knew God. He depended on God's loving kindness. For those of you who have messed up big time, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The more we know God, the more we know his goodness. The more we know his beauty, the more we know his mercy. This is the way he described himself when he appeared before Moses in Exodus 33. And he talked about his goodness and his loving kindness and his faithfulness to three and four generations of those who love him. And so David knew God. He didn't just know about God. And because he knew God, he knew God was filled with love and goodness and that gave him faith to come in. Anybody's listening to me right now, I don't care what you're going through, how much you've sinned, and how far you've fallen, and how much you feel distant from God, depend on God's loving kindness and his goodness. And he says, blot out my transgressions. And then, verse 2, I love this, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity or my sin. Cleanse me, Lord. He didn't want mere uh, cheap grace. He didn't just go to God and quickly and glibly confess his sin, just like so many people teach and preach today. They take 1 John 1, 8 out of context where it says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse you of sins. And they think that it's just confessing a sin. Well, he said cleanse, meaning you have to know what you're confessing. You have to get to the root of it. You have to uh, uh, ponder what you've done, why you've done it. Let God fully cleanse you which means deal with the root reasons of why you sinned. And that's what he's saying here. Wash me thoroughly. You could say that right now, wherever you are. Just stop a minute and pray and say, Lord, wash me thoroughly. I don't want cheap grace. I don't want to just say, God, forgive me, and go on. And this is why we keep sinning, because we don't take it serious. David was a man after God's own heart, and David chose him because he knew that he was going to seek God commensurate to his assignment and his calling. And I pray that you and I do the same. And so he said, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me. He didn't just want God to forgive his sin, he wanted his sins washed away, which meant to deal with his mindset, his attitude, and his heart. Then he said in verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He confronted the sinful nature he was dealing with. Sin is always before all of us. 
We're trying to live a risen life in a fallen world. And if we don't admit that we're sinners, if we don't admit sin is always before us, it's going to be easier for us to fall into temptation. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that if you think you stand, you're going to fall. And so our righteousness and our hope is totally in Christ. So we have to acknowledge our sins. We have to know sin is always before us so we can walk in that brokenness. Then he says in verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He wasn't trying to justify his sin. He didn't make any excuses. He wasn't blaming God for putting him in a certain situation. He said against you, only have I sinned. It reminds me of what Joseph said to part of his wife when she tried to sleep with him. We read that in the Genesis account. And he said, how could I sin against God? He didn't even say, how could I sin against your husband? He said, how could I sin against God? We have to understand that even though we sin against other people, primarily we're sinning against God. And that's why it's the fear of the Lord that leads us to wisdom. And that is the basis of how we could flee and issue sin. And so sin is an affront to God. We have to understand that. And that's why in the Old Testament there were many costly animal sacrifices the animal sacrifices showed that sin was bloody, costly, and gory, as well as a stench to the nostrils of God. So we have to say that to God. Against you, you only have I sinned. We're only image bearers of God. When we sin against somebody else, we have to understand primarily we're sinning against God because we're breaking his boundaries. And if we don't admit that we're sinning against God, and we'll never get past uh, the beginning stages of our growth in God. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Many scholars believe that David may have been a illegitimate uh, son, meaning that his parents were not married, that he was born out of wedlock. It was a result of an adulterous affair. Some people claim this scripture is talking about moral depravity, similar to Romans 5.12, when one man sinned, we all sinned. Uh, but um, it could be that, but I happen to think it had to do with the fact that there was adultery involved in his birth. And why do I think that? I think that because there had to be some reason why Jesse, his father, and the other brothers didn't even consider David as someone who could be anointed king. They didn't even consider him to go into battle, consider him as someone important enough to be involved in the everyday affairs of that house. And I don't believe it was just because he was the youngest. I believe it might have been because he was maybe the half-brother of his other brothers. Be that as it may, um, David says, in sin my mother conceived me. Verse 6, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. It's not enough to just quote scripture. It's not enough to know the Bible in your head. There are some people, I knew one guy who had the whole New Testament memorized, but he was the most carnal Christian I ever met, constantly cussing, swearing, narcissistic, losing his temper every time he didn't get his way. But yet he could go in a crowd and quote scripture and people get amazed by his ability. But God wants truth in our inward parts. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 23 when he was talking to the religious rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he called them hypocrites. He said, because you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, 
but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence or narcissism. He said, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's, men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you appear outwardly righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. As Dale Carnegie wrote in his book, he was telling the truth. And David, as a type of Christ, understood that God is looking for an inward truth, an inward holiness. God wants to transform us by the reading of Scripture, by the hearing of sermons, by prayer and worship. He doesn't just want us to have an accumulation of knowledge. He wants us to have a transformation of the soul. And that's what David understood. He wants his word branded upon our hearts. He wants more than behavior modification. So many of the books that are out there, even many of the leadership books that are out there, just deal with technique. They have different ways of describing the same leadership principles, but it just boils down to behavior modification. God wants truth from the inside out. And once we change on the inside, the outside will follow anyway. The Old Testament always had an emphasis on heart faith. Some people think the New Testament was the first time God desired heart faith, but David dispelled that notion with Psalm 51 and the whole Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Proverbs 3. It says, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. So the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. God was always the same. He always desired truth in the inward parts. It was the religious Rulers and hypocrites who changed it to outward behavior without an inward uh, connection to God. And then we see in verse 7, this is profound. He says, Pur purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Here David connects sin to something as serious as leprosy. Because when you look in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, it talks about the leper getting cleansed with hyssop. Wow, God looks at our sin like leprosy. Now, you may not think leprosy is serious today because there's not too many people who have it, but the truth of the matter is there is leprosy in our lives when we are in sin. And so when we understand this, we realize that God is looking for an inward behavior that starts from the heart. It went to Siri. I know how to work it when it has the other right, thing. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Uh, leprosy was the last thing. Okay. So I'm going to just go to the next verse. Is that all right? Or Okay. Verse 8, David says, Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. So David knew that true joy can only come after brokenness. Then verse 10, I love this. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David wanted a clean heart that meant his motives and his agenda would be pure. Steadfast spirit has to do with having the right attitude from within. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He understood the presence of God was everything to him. Um, he did not want to go anywhere without walking in the presence. And that's how we should live. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. So God wants us to walk in his joy, not just so that we can be happy and be at peace with God, but the joyful people are the ones who will win the most people to Christ. We cannot proclaim the gospel without joy. So David said, I want to be filled with joy so that sinners can be converted. So it wasn't a self-focused faith. It was something that had to do with his missional calling to proclaim righteousness to the great congregation, as he said in Psalm 40. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. He named his sin specifically. We can't just ambiguously come to God, oh God, forgive me for my sins. No, no. You don't have to confess your sins before you know the Lord. It's impossible to confess your sins because there's too many. But after you're saved, we can confess each sin individually. And the faster and the sooner we do that, the more we're going to walk in holiness. He says, uh, open my lips, verse 15, that my mouth may show forth your praise. Verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. Sounds like Samuel, the prophet who said to Saul, God wants obedience more than sacrifice. David said, you don't delight in burnt offering, in outward ritual. The sacrifice of a, sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So God views brokenness as the highest form of worship. What is brokenness? It means a will that is dead to self and committed to do his will. Worship is not just coming to church on Sunday and singing songs for a half hour. Worship is living a life of obedience. That's the highest form of worship. That's why he says, I want obedience more than sacrifice. Isaiah 57, 15, it says this, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Boy, brokenness. Saying like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but your will be done. Laying our life on the altar, our bodies as a living sacrifice. That is true and reasonable worship. Verse 18, we're almost wrapping this up here. He ends this psalm by saying, Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. And so this is, to me, uh, profound too, because David, while he's confessing his sin, says, do good and build the walls of Jerusalem. As a king, he was asking God to fortify his nation in righteousness in spite of his sin. He was always looking out for the good of his people and not just for himself. So as we end this, what is the application for all of us who are listening? 
Well, we all have to ask ourselves this question, including me. Have we allowed God to deal with us and break our stubborn heart? That was the key. That was why David was called a man after God's own heart. That's why God could trust him with such an important assignment. Are we offering the right sacrifice of brokenness and obedience before God? Or are we just attempting to please God with outward religious behavior? Here's another thing we could ask ourselves. Have we left our assignment because of personal failure? Well, David failed more than most everybody who's going to listen to this online. But yet he was still able to fulfill his assignment. Don't leave your assignment. Allow God to continue to use you after you confess your sin and allow him to cleanse you. He can restore you. David should motivate all of us to get back up and follow God, even after personal failure. So I want to pray for all of you. So just close your eyes. Father, we just thank you that in spite of our sins, you could still use us, even as you used David to fulfill your assignment in his generation. And you said because he did all you will. And we know he didn't obey you all the time, but in general, he obeyed that assignment. Oh, God, I know you want to trust all of us with a specific assignment. And I pray that none of us would allow our failure, our weakness, even our inabilities to stop us from obeying you. Father, if there's anyone who's discouraged, displaced, distant from you, not part of church, not part of the assembly because they feel so ashamed because of their sin, oh, God, we beseech you, please restore them today, even at the sound of my voice. And Father, we know that the best is yet to come for those of us who are broken before you, who thoroughly allow you to cleanse us, to restore us, and to put us back on the right path. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.